Her name is Kylie Oren. More like his introduction. Since she was a child, she's been the all-nonsense host of her own private talk show, and the rest of us are privileged to be members of the live studio audience. My name is Ben Spiro. One year, I dyed my hair jet black to be a comic book character for Halloween and kept it that way for half a decade. Together, we're proud to present... Welcome to Hyper Strong Miracle Treasure, the show where two friends take a deep dive into the pop culture grab bag and hurl random implements of entertainment at one another with reckless abandon. Borsier has been buried up to his neck, slathered in honey, and left for wild animals to eat somewhere out in the countryside. So until a friendly raccoon helps dig him to freedom, I'm turning to the toughest redhead east of the Allegheny to be my special guest host, Kylie Oram. Welcome back to the show. Yay! Now, Kylie, uh, being buried alive notwithstanding, I'm forced to ask, how is Borsier holding up? He's doing great. It's his favorite activity, and I'm, 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 glad, I'm glad he's off doing it somewhere. Yeah, do what you love. Last week, Kylie and I began our embedded-in-the-subculture battle by throwing some shade, stealing some Roy Rogers, and just generally basking in the opulence of 1991's dragball documentary, Paris is Burning. But this week, we're crossing the country for another type of spectacle entirely. We're watching The Decline of Western Civilization, a movie whose title is either based on the work of a German historian found in the bedroom of a drug-addicted punk singer, or a Lester Bangs article about the Stooges. It really all depends on which Wikipedia citation you believe most. Hey, Ben. Yeah. (laughs) What does eat my fuck mean? (laughs) (laughs) That's a fine question. What did you just make me watch? <laughs> Kylie, I just made you watch the first feature film directed by Penelope Spheris. In time, she would go on to write for the television show Roseanne, and as you in particular are well aware, well, she would direct the SNL comedy hit Wayne's World. When I saw the title card that said Spheris Films, I got really excited because I <laughs> love the movie Wayne's World. I know you do. But in 1979, she was just a former carny with a degree in psychobiology trying to make a documentary about the L.A. punk scene. She sounds amazing. (laughs) Technically, her dad was the carny, but I felt you can do a tweak. And she did so by filming performances and interviews with seven local bands that run the gamut from one of my absolute favorite musical acts, To one of my most despised. Ooh, can I guess which is which? That's the game I want to play first. So, okay. okay. All right. In in order of appearance, here are the bands. And the game is this. There is one band I love, two bands I like, two bands, eh, I could go either way, one I dislike, and one I hate. So let's start with the first band we meet, which is Black Flag. God, I don't know. No, I'm going to say, like, like, like. You are correct. All right. Next, The Germs. Like. I can't tell. I can't tell whether I like or dislike them, basically because they're pretty much incoherent. Yeah, that's true. But I guess it's fun to see Pat Smear, young... (laughs) Young Pat Smear, mm-hmm. who by 1993, when he joined Nirvana, I, as a 14-year-old, was like, who's this old guy? <laughs> and, you know, comparatively, compared to them, yeah, he was. He was, an, he was the elder statesman. All right, next, X. I think you dislike them. 
You are incorrect. I love the band X. Guess what? Guess what, yeah. Ben? What? I learned from watching this movie, my number one takeaway is that I, too, love the band X. Right. Okay. They are an absolute favorite. In fact, I not only watched all of their musical performances, but then I went and downloaded a bunch of their albums on my phone to listen to because I'd only known a few songs by them. But the reason why I said dislike is because I'm pretty familiar with your music collection and I couldn't remember you having any albums by them, but I guess you do. Well, when we hang out one day and get to ride in your car, we can listen to them and drive around. I like this idea. Yay! Next was Catholic Discipline. Dislike. I dislike Catholic Discipline. I do not think they are very good. Me too. I disliked. Next, Circle Jerks. Don't care. I like the Circle Jerks. I like them. I don't, you know, in love. You hear to hear, folks. Ben likes Circle Jerking. I'm ignoring, I'm ignoring your innuendo. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So next, the Alice Bag Band. Medium. Medium. Yeah, I, I don't like, don't dislike. You know, I I liked her. I mean, I of course, since the only women represented in the entire movie musically were Exine and her, I was like, of course I want to like her. And I was trying to find some of Alice Bagband music online, but I couldn't find any. The germs had Lorna Lorna Doom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was cool. But but you're you're correct. And and finally, fear. Dislike. Hate. I hate fear. I hated them too. Ben, we're allowed to be friends. We had the same agreements <laughs> of best and worst. But let's let's start at the beginning. Okay. We open on the face of a kid named Eugene uh, with a with a shaved head. My least favorite person in the entire movie. And he begins giving his introduction to what punk rock is. He looked about to be fifteen years old, which was sad, or less. He's maybe 14. He has a very, he has like a Valley Boy accent. He's very L.A. Everybody does, though, in, in this in this movie. I like it because <laughs> I've spent very, not a lot of time in Los Angeles, but I think I kind of have a, a California accent. Uh, I, you know, it. I can hear what you're saying, but it's definitely not as intense as everyone else in this film. Hey, beats a Philly accent. He says... That's stupid punk rock. I don't, you know, I just think of it as rock and roll because that's what it is. You know. What do you like about it? Well, I like that it's like, it's something new and it's just reviving the like old rock and roll and it's like, it's raw again and it's for real and it's fun and, you know, it's like, it's not bullshit. There's no rock stars now, you know. Let's save what we think about Eugene as a person for for a little while. Okay. Let's just start talking about you. Kylie, what do you feel about punk music just in general? I feel like I'm not cool enough to like it, but I like it. <laughs> okay, also, I will say I like, I prefer New York. Like, I wish that this movie was about New York punk scene in the 70s. I would have been much more engaged because that's what I, like, identify with. Ramones and the CBGB and... Yeah. yeah. I, I can understand that. You've, you've got a specific brand and you're, you're, you're East Coast. I am East Coast. For me, I have a complicated relationship with punk. And what I like about this movie is that every everything I feel about it is in this film. And every time I watch it, I go through the exact same arc. And my arc is interest, excitement, enjoyment annoyance 
anger, depression. I relate. That's kind of what happened. Like, I felt like I had to kind of disengage by the end. Oh, I don't get to be like a real fan. They're just fucked up people. I will say, though, the person you most reminded me of you was, was the guy who worked for Slash magazine and started Slash Records because he was a straight-laced looking gentleman with a blue button-down shirt. Like you. <laughs> oh, that wasn't the guy I was hoping you were going to say. I don't know. It just, like, again, the other guy, the straight-laced blue button-down shirt guy, I just was like, there's Ben. Audience, you don't, you can't see it because it's a podcast, but Ben always wears a blue button-down shirt. <laughs> Are you wearing one? Oh, I guess you don't because of quarantine. For, for the past year, all of your blue button-down shirts have been sitting in your closet. Right now, I am wearing a red t-shirt that says Krampus on it. I got you that shirt. I know you did. <laughs> From Eugene... And his introduction to what punk rock really is, we we see all the lead singers of all the bands read their consent form out to the audience. I thought this was a really fun way to start the film. I enjoyed that a lot. And and I say, Penelope Spheres has a lot of style in how she presents this documentary. Yeah, I really enjoyed the way it was made. But of course I would, because I like Wayne's World. After doing that, while the credits are going, we just kind of hear people talking in the background my favorite line that the punks are saying from on stage during the credits. Mmm, dance! You want people in Philadelphia to see a bunch of deadbeats? I love that, because yeah. it was like mm-hmm. time travel. They were they were speaking about us. And from there, uh, Penelope Spears throws us straight into the musical action of it. It starts, X is playing the song Nausea, and mm. a really awesome pit is going on as this happens. Have you ever been in a pit? Maybe not at a punk show, but maybe at some kind of grunge show you went to at some point? Yeah, but I never want to be. Always, like, if I was standing in the wrong spot and they would just, like, begin. And then I would run, run, run. The last time I went to anything resembling a punk show, because I I feel like I acted like a punk because I was drunk. The last, and it was, um, I wore, okay, I wore heels, why? Mm-hmm. Ooh. And yeah, and there was like totally like people like pushing and shoving each other. And I just like pushed myself to the front of the stage. But then the punkest thing I did is I had to pee and I didn't want to wait in line for the bathroom. So I just oh god <laughs> jumped the line. I skipped the line and I just like went in front of everyone. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's not what I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to say you just you just went. <laughs> it just went right where you were standing. Okay, good. No, no, no. I'm not gross. I'm, I'm a lady. I remember my my very first punk show that I ever went to. Our our friend Rachel Klein took me. I don't know. I felt very nervous about going in the pit. I am just a dude. I I don't I'm never in my life have dressed up in any particularly punk way. This is a subculture that interested me because I had a friend who was sharing some pieces of music about it. And then a band that I really liked came on and started playing a song. What band? It was the UK Subs. And I didn't know I really liked them at the time. I, I didn't know until they started playing. And suddenly I was in there. Suddenly I was in the middle of a pit. And I loved it. Which is funny, because I don't particularly like being touched. But what was going on in that mass of humanity all kind of circling to the music, elbowing each other out of the way, but not particularly trying to cause harm. Like, it it felt very correct and right in that moment. Well, also, Ben, you like, you don't like touching, but you like monkeying around. Like, you like swinging from things. <laughs> 
And like you like jumping and you like horseplay. Yo, I don't really go to punk shows anymore, but when I did, I was always annoyed when there would be a show without a pit. I always I always feel weird when everyone in the room is too cool to dance. But I also don't want to get hurt. Yeah, which is completely understandable. No, no, no. But I mean, as long as there's a delineated, because I feel really lucky of being a teen in the 90s. Like every concert I went to in high school had a had a mosh pit. It was just, I think it felt weird when I started going to shows where there weren't one because it wasn't the type of music to require one. But I'm glad that I got to be around so many in my youth. As this goes on, Penelope Spheres is really like focusing on the crowd, giving us as many views of of young 1979 punks from L.A. as she can. And and I was wondering, what did you think about how they looked? Did did you take note of any of them? I thought they looked cool. (laughs) I was bummed because um, later when they do the interviews, they're in black and white because, like, I wanted to see more color of, like, what they were wearing. Although I liked the way that they the interviews were shot with just the single light bulb. It was very stylish. But because, like, one girl, she talks about blue hair. And I'm like, I couldn't tell even if her hair was blue because it was black and white. No, it was, it was weird seeing these punks just because it is fascinating to get an image of a subculture as it is born. That's true because, yeah, they looked less demonstratively... What we think of as punk, they just looked like some dudes with acne and buzz cuts, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah, a lot of short haircuts. The audience was incredibly varied. A lot of band names written on their clothes with pen. (laughs) Yeah, but not a ton of elaborate hairstyles, really, or things that I would think of now, patches and and spikes. There there wasn't a ton of that because, again, it, it was still... It was still embryonic. Honestly, though, seeing it that way made it seem almost tougher because it's like they were just so there for the feeling of it and the music. They're like, I don't care about the falderall of the dressing up plumage. I'm just here with my short hair and my T-shirt. I am keeping it simple. Scarier in a way. It's definitely more genuine. I see that. I, I don't know if I find it scary just because... I look at that audience and I understand those kids. I have met those kids. I've gone to parties with those kids. Are you those kids? I am not. I I I've never felt I was I could say I was one of those kids, but they were my friends and they were the people I spent time with. And there were some who you should stay away from. You know, there there are always those people that you don't like who who are part of a scene who are going to ruin things. But for the most part, I can't imagine being genuinely scared of them. So from there, Penelope takes us to talk to a couple club owners, and we get the the old guy perspective of what punk rock is. Had you ever heard the phrase pogo dance before? Sure. Okay. There, there is a song called Pogo Dancing, and there's this movie. But otherwise... I have never spoken to anyone who who's like I'm doing pogo dance. I've heard that I've heard that term a lot. Okay, but I think it's funny because it's like it's just jumping up and down. <laughs> Why don't they just call it jumping? But no, we get to listen to some club owners try to explain what punk is and what the pogo dance is. 
That was cute. When the guy's like, I enjoy dancing. I enjoy all different styles of dancing. I'm familiar with this <laughs> dance, which is like hopping on a pogo stick. I thought that was cute. <laughs> yeah. And and I think his wife or co-owner is standing beside him and she's like, no, no, it scares me. I don't I don't mm-hmm. know what these kids are doing. <laughs> And then there's the Scottish guy in front of the L.A. skyline just trying to give a very technical explanation of, of what of what the punk is and, like, the speed of the music. And he's talking about it in heartbeats per second. Oh, I liked that. I liked that. I liked when he said, like, disco, it's, like, comfortable because it's, like, 4-4 four, four time. But with these songs, it's faster so you feel uncomfortable. I was like, yeah. This is not comfortable or normal to dance to. It's an abnormal level of adrenaline. And I did like, I liked it explained that way. Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> maybe, maybe you sometimes do need an outside perspective to adequately explain what, what a movement is. If only because a lot of the kids that, that they talk to later are a lot less eloquent about about what it means. Whereas the club owners are kind of approaching it from a sociological point of view, like, hmm, what is this unique society that has grown inside my establishment? But hey, now I'm on that side of things not understanding youth culture, you know, so I can't make fun of people who don't get it back then because now I'm <laughs> the one who doesn't get it. You know, and it's funny because I think of the youth culture that I do get and it's this, which is old. This is old man culture now. It's not youth culture. It's the, not the, youth culture. The fact that it was once youth culture, that is worth nothing. Nothing yeah. at all. <laughs> no, but even in this moment, uh, Penelope Spheris is doing some some really interesting things. She's like doing cuts between the, the owners and just a second of the band and maybe like a couple notes or a couple shouted words. And I really, I really like that. I think it broke up the a monotony a little bit of the of the of the club owners with the reality of what was happening inside those clubs. I like that. Yeah, a lot. yeah. So our very first band that we talk to is Black Flag. Oh, and this was uh, pre Henry Rollins days. Uh huh. This is this show. Okay, first of all, I'm a middle aged human, right? I'm like right. two months away from turning forty two. And this shit is shot like the year I was born. So eons ago. So this is like pre-Henry Rollins, which was interesting to see. And it's really weird because this is a snapshot of a band that never existed before this movie and never existed after this movie. Yeah. Their 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 lead singer was Keith Morris before this movie and he he's the the lead singer of the circle jerks we'll see him later and then afterwards you get your henry rollins times who was at the time working at an ice cream place scooping ice cream (laughs) it's true i've i've gone to see him speak twice (laughs) yeah and 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 henry rollins is gonna bring in a more I actually don't listen to Henry Rollins' Black Flag a lot, so you tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, like a more metal, poetic type feel? Yeah, I'd say so. Certainly poetic. <laughs> yeah, pulling it away from punk, he's he's doing another thing. And it's kind of sad because this version fronted by Ron Reyes is it, – it existed – for the filming of this movie, and that's about it. Interesting. And I wish I could have seen more of it, because I, I, I like what I see. I love that she had all the lyrics on the screen throughout the whole <laughs> movie, or most of it, in such a happy font. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was like lyrics like, 
I'm so depressed. I want to die. Depression's going to kill me. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, hey. It's going to get you too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Ron Reyes is a really interesting dude. He was just a fan. He was cute. <laughs> he was just a fan of the band who got allowed to be part of the band for a little bit. And then not long after this movie was done and released, he he left the band because there was too much violence happening at, at, at the shows. Oh, shit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I was thinking it's got to be tough for him. He's Puerto Rican, and he was one of the only people of color almost that you see in this film. Pat, Pat Smear also, mm-hmm. but bar- barely any. So he's got a subculture that he's part of that's almost entirely white, and he's out there singing a song called White Minority, which is designed to piss white people off. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's great and ironic and... Yeah, I like that too. But it must have been scary for him. I don't know. Yeah, especially because, you know, there's a lot of racism in the world and that world in particular. We get to meet the band in between their sets at a place where they live, the church. What did you think of the church? Um, I wish that I could live in a small <laughs> closet for $16 a month. Honestly, I was like, that's not so bad. My good pal Dave has has done that, and it was very, very similar to the closet that Ron Reyes lived in, like with the writing on the wall. It seemed very livable. Uh, uh, I, it wasn't his favorite time of, of his life, that's for sure. Maybe I just don't require very much. Uh, I gotta say, I feel like there is a thing you can do when you're these guys' age, and they're they're all like in their very, very early 20s, that is trickier to do later in life. I could still do it. <laughs> I, I believe in you. Who's more punk than you or me? <laughs> 100% you. You need a couch. I don't need a couch. <laughs> without without my couch, I am nothing. Yes, yeah, so the band, they live in a graffiti-filled room underneath a church. I think that's cool. Mm-hmm. And, 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 but that's the thing. This is, I think, the epitome of punk rock crash pad squat locations, right? That's what you imagine when you think about it. Oh, totally. When I used to do monthly burlesque shows in Albany, Spam Scooter Pipe Midnight, for several years, because we basically did the show at this club that would have, like, punk hardcore shows beforehand. Mm-hmm. And so some of the bands, like, would stick around and became fans of our show. Aww. And we kind of were buddies with them, and they, w- they invited us once. Oh, you got to hung out with them later? Yeah, they invited us to like a a party like back at where one of the bands lived and it was it was like basement and it was like that it was just like that. Mm-hmm. And this was in like 2012ish. No, anytime I have ever gone to a party at a living location where several punks are roommates. It always has that level of disaster area, <laughs> you know, things destroyed, walls graffitied. But, you know, in general, the, my experience with my friends felt a lot like them hanging around. What I like about Black Flag as the band that we see is that they are not abrasive jerks. That's a thing for stage, right? That is that is a thing. They, they're trying to build up energy on stage. When they're off stage, 
they're pretty sedate dudes. <laughs> they're probably tired. My favorite, my favorite one of which is Chuck Dukowski. He he's the Mohawk guy with the with the Colt forty five. I I really liked hearing his philosophical point of view. Oh, I liked him a lot uh-huh. about like why is your hair like that? Because <laughs> I'm searching. I I liked that. He was cute. What are you searching for? I really don't know. Now I'll find. I'll know when I find it. You know, I did this because I felt like to set myself aside and make myself different. Maybe, maybe it would just come to me. What is it? No, that's not it. Shit. <laughs> yeah, that was one of my favorite parts of the movie, actually. Yeah, because, you know, a pleasant, semi-thoughtful, wasted dude who is not moving from from the place where he's sitting. That is, when I think about it, the, the most pleasant kind of punk living situation that I can, can imagine. I mean, it was a little bit gross when it was like, there's like panties in here for my victims. Look, here's some. It was like, all right. I knew that there'd be some of that stuff. Like, oh, okay. Men are gross. Men are gross, Ben. Hey, men are gross and men in bands. Very gross. That's the grossest subgenre of them all. <laughs> Next, let's talk about the germs. And we don't start by seeing the germs. We start by seeing their manager, Nicole. Oh, this is great. <laughs> she is so tired. She's <laughs> over it. I was really entertained by the germ segment of this film. There is there's something that you should know about Nicole. What? Uh, her name is Nicole Panter, and she married a man who worked on a television show that you are a big fan of. And Nicole ended up writing on that television show. She worked on Pee Wee's Playhouse. She did, That's and her and her husband was her husband was the set designer. Oh my now, god! That I love that guy. There's like a whole documentary about him. If it's the the same guy I'm thinking of. Yeah, her her husband I believe is Greg Panter. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so so she went on to do some interesting stuff. So she is the manager for the Germs, which she describes as. Like being the mother of four three-year-olds. Yeah. And of the three-year-olds, the one who is perhaps most important to mention is Darby Crash. (laughs) What did you think about Darby Crash? I mean, I just could relate to him a lot because I've been in public in an alcoholic blackout a lot in my past. So Mm -hmm. I just felt a connection with him and his behavior on stage it is incredibly difficult for me to tell if i like the germs because you watch them play and darby crash is so destroyed he is incomprehensible those are not words and and the the subtitles you mentioned that penelope spheris puts on the ground they're almost ironic at that point right i thought it was very cute that one of the lyrics in one of the songs was i was born a puzzled panther like that's just a funny adjective for a punk song like puzzled like i was like that's really cute but but then you got to understand when when Darby Crash is singing is yeah but like, I don't it's know not. I just feel like some sympathy for him because you know some of us have been there and like like he kept mm-hmm. forgetting to sing into the mic done that you know also with the drawing on himself with a marker it wasn't some kind of political statement it was just like a weird shit that you do when you're drunk and sometimes when the band is playing there's marker all over him. 
including the world's most squiggly uh, swastika ever has been drawn on him. And I don't know if... uh, My instinct is that he did not draw these things himself, but you can't tell. No, I think other people... Well, you also saw other people coming up and, like, drawing on him. Yeah, I get the feeling that this is people drawing on Wasted Darby, but, you know, that's the kind of edgelord bullshit that that will happen in in punk society Mm -hmm. no but so let's let's describe darby himself he's got safety pin earrings he wears an iron cross he has a strange kind of mullet he made me think about um gg allen Mm, like a gg allen you might want to spend time with right like a less terrifying Uh gentler they're both men who are dangers to themselves Gigi Allen feels like he might be a danger to others. I don't know if Darby Crash is a danger to anyone but Darby Crash. Now, I was talking to my friend Carolyn mm-hmm. previously to this because she likes all three of these movies, especially the second one because it is kind of a trilogy, right? This is like conjecture and I would have to like follow up. But like she said that she heard that Darby Crash was actually gay. Here are some things that I read just in my, my general internet research. First, a lot of girls really liked him and that he never really had a set girlfriend. The second is that he just kind of had a charisma to him that that drew people to him very closely. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean one way or another about his, his relationship preferences, but one of the things that you can sense when you watch him is... He is the kind of person, and a a kind of person that I have met a lot, that when they are sober, they're quiet, they're shy, they're, they're kind, they're interested, you want to be with them, and when they are, when they are wasted, they are just uncorked. They are a different human being completely. I have my hand raised. You hear him describing the self-harm he does and and that going out on stage is almost an act of self-harm because of what the audience does to him. He feels at least one of his explanations is that he has to get wasted in order to get out there. Yeah. Uh, because he because he's scared. That's what we all say. You can see in these casual scenes that he is the kind of person who would draw people to him. Yeah, I liked that it showed him making breakfast. I had you watch a trailer for a movie about Darby Crash's life. Oh, but it wasn't the trailer. <laughs> I accidentally sent you the entire movie. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I, I mean, but the weird thing was the way the movie started, it felt like it was a trailer, and then I saw that it happened to be 90 minutes long. <laughs> now, what was your feelings about this movie's depiction of Darby? Ugh, the guy, you mm-hmm. could feel him acting. You could feel him acting so hard. He was not wasted enough. He was. You could understand what he was saying, um, he was speaking very clearly and very like thought like it was just it was not a good depiction. This is kind of silly on some level because this is you watching three minutes of a movie and me watching a trailer of a movie. So hey, who for all we know there could be a more nuanced depiction out there, but it really tried to show a version of this person as a revolutionary who who like had a, has a clear-eyed view of what he's trying to do and inspire. No, I think yeah, truly there's nothing clear-eyed about the actual one. At least from what I saw in the movie. The, this is a kid 
who is lost. And maybe he likes being lost. Maybe he has done this on purpose. But this is not a kid with a plan to make his movement important or anything like that. Mm -mm. It's one of the things that I... You can't help but think when you watch it is this kid doesn't have much time left. I'm assuming he's dead now, right? Yeah, so Nicole quit in April of 1980, and we get that from the movie. The band is broken up by May, and then Darby is dead by December. (gasps) Yeah. and What did he die of, drugs? He entered into... A suicide pact with the girl he was with at the time. And they both OD'd on heroin together. He died, she lived. Shit. Yeah. That's some Romeo and Juliet shit. Yeah, you you know, and that's... (laughs) That kind of broken kid madness. Oh, so that's why there's a movie about him. Uh Uh-huh. Probably, okay. Right? But, But again, the idea... That he was, a, he had some sort of plan and was anything other than just a, a strange lost soul is, is is really confusing to me that you'd want to play it that way in your mind. There's only there's only one other part of this that we should probably mention. Uh, there, it's the story of the dead painter. Oh, the dead! Yes, I thought it was horrible. It was fucked up. It was racist. Okay, so his like friends, black-haired Courtney Love. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's a good way to describe Michelle. Yeah, at, at certain times she has been involved in the Germs, but I get the feeling that she was never really uh, one of the band members. But anyway, she said that near her house, she found a dead body and thought it was hilarious, and like they posed for pictures next to it. Rude. And then um, they found it was like a house painter. Mm-hmm. And then because I guess this was uh, the person had been Latino, they said uh, racist things about the dead body. And they were just laughing and they thought it was funny. Yeah. No, the the like the smile she has when she says he was dead. It, it just but just like her disconnect from, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, just being like, yeah, it was a dead body. It was funny. I didn't feel bad. Between Michelle and Darby. That's the two kind of destructive kids you meet in that scene. Self-destructive and others. Uh huh. Just like like that callousness about other people. You're gonna find that it's that weird combo you run into of people who are genuinely kind of terrible, and then people who just lose themselves completely. And they're they're both freaky to be around when you're hanging out with those groups. All right, next. Catholic discipline. I, this part, like, held my attention the least. Mm, no, it's it's not very interesting. However, as somebody who's into zines and stuff, I was fascinated by the idea of this Slash magazine, and I, like, almost paused it to look at eBay to look up some issues, which I might do sometime. But then I was like, honestly, though, this is L.A. Like, I'd rather look for the old original New York, the one, the magazine that was called Punk oh, like, from okay. the same time period. Like, I'd be more interested in that. Yeah, zines are pretty cool. I, I don't I don't know much about, about that zine. The one other zine that I know about was one in England called Sniffing Glue. <laughs> I like the way you said that, Sniffing Glue. It's another situation where one of the key guys in creating that zine also had a punk band. His name is is Mark Perry. 
You mean his name is not Mark Glue? No, it was not Mark Glue. He didn't have he didn't have a cool punk rock name, <laughs> unlike the lead singer of Catholic Discipline. He had a band called Alternative TV, and I actually kind of I kind of like Alternative TV, but it's very very similar to the guy who works at Slash Zine and fronts Catholic Discipline on the side. In as much as these are clearly artists who have come to make art. Yeah, a little affected. <laughs> and so this lead singer is Claude Bessie, editor, writer, and lead singer of Catholic Discipline who goes by the name Kickboy Face. Yeah, although I do have a friend named Face Boy, <laughs> so that just made me think of him. Oh, if his last name was Kick, that'd be really cool. Face Boy Kick. Yeah. Catholic Discipline is just such a clunky and embarrassing name for it. It's like, really? It's yeah. like so... I didn't like it. Also, their song, The Barbie Doll Lust, was my least favorite piece of music. I would much rather have the Beef Bologna song 50 <laughs> times than, than listen to that cringy Barbie Doll song ever again. Let's, let's hear Leaving sing about his penis for three minutes. At least it's quick and it's done. <laughs> Instead of, like, fucking a Barbie on a bus or something, like, no, and not, like, with the embarrassing accent, like, uh. And I swear, I'm not, I'm not a, because the guy was French, right? Yes, I, be I believe Claude was French. Because I'm not a Francophobe. I'm taking French lessons. I'm a Francophile. I just didn't like that guy. This podcast has a single listener who downloads from France. And so I will never say anything negative about the French or their accent. Ever. I promise. Oh, shoot. Then maybe you should take those parts out because I don't want to make an enemy. But I did have my disclaimer. <laughs> nah, I think it's fine. <laughs> but Claude Bessie is so self-important. Even his look was very, like, it was the most cultivated. Like the dyed black hair, the blazer. <laughs> These giant crucifix hanging from his blazer. The fancy sunglasses. Now, he did have one part of his look that I thought you might enjoy. Did you notice his shoes? No. What kind of shoes? Big white creepers. That's cool. But it's it's different from the buzz cut and t-shirt boys. It's one of those features that is going to be part of fashionable punk clothing for the next 30 years. So he got that right, I guess. Yeah. Did you find that he looked older than everybody else in the movie? Yeah, I just assumed he was. He, my math says, according to Wikipedia information, that he was 35 at the time of filming, which does make him like 15 to 10 years older than everybody else. But... I think it's a lie. I think he might be older than that. I, I think he might be in his 40s in this. No, but he might have been a hard-living 35, though. <laughs> Could be. Could be. I don't know if you saw this because we watched different things when you saw the, the trailer for the Darby Crouch movie, but at the right. beginning of the actual movie, it starts with the voice of someone playing the French guy. Claude Bessie. Kickboy face. Kickboy face. And he was doing actually a good job. Like, he was doing a good impression of him. So it started with him saying, like, you know, this is Slash Magazine, like, da, 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 like talking about him, which I thought was an interesting thing. No, one of the things I, I thought about when I was watching this last time is that when you start a music magazine, you're kind of at the whim of youth culture. I get the feeling that none of the editors are all that into the music that they're writing about in Slash Magazine. Hmm. Of the letters we hear them read, there's a lot of eye-rolling, like, can you believe these are the people who communicate with us? 
Oh, yeah, totally. What do you think of Catholic discipline, the band? <laughs> they had a weird synth that was kind of interesting, but not entertaining. I just really didn't like the song. Maybe there are other better ones. The songs weren't great. There's there's no energy in dancing at their show. It just, it's just bad poetry. Do you think that it's, I mean, Catholic discipline, is it like, no, I wouldn't say it's like starting to want to be goth because it's not like stylish enough. No, it's art punk. It, it's pure art yeah. punk, but, but people are going to learn how to do that better. Yeah. Um, well, what would be an example of a good art punk band? I think Pear Ubu is maybe okay. my favorite. Uh, and it's not just Cleveland bias. I think they're legitimately good. Could you call Sonic Youth art punk? I don't know if they would. There's Noise or No Wave. I don't, I don't know if they'd call themselves that. or. But at times, I think they approach it, sure. Okay. Yeah. And I think my favorite summation of Catholic Discipline is just a dude from the audience who calls out in the middle of it. He's just more sensitive. And I agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get from Catholic Discipline to see a burning X. Oh, I liked this part a lot. The DIY tattoo of X. We're going to hang out with John Doe and Exine Cervenka. I thought this part was a lot of fun. I loved hanging out with X. They were fun drunk. They weren't, like, destructive. They were smart, mm -hmm. and they were giving each other tattoos, and they seemed to get along well, and they just, it was a fun, fun rollicking time with these guys. Plus, there's, like, a cool lady that I got to see. Mm-hmm. No, Exine is a really interesting person. One, one downside, she... Has later in life posted conspiracy theory YouTubes. Oh, okay. Well, we're, let's talk about her circa 1979. We hang out in X's apartment. John Doe is tattooing another band member. Xine is is slowly drinking. I'm hiccuping. It was very charming. She's not like like she's she's messy drunk, but not sloppy. She can carry on a conversation. She's a charming drunk who who just lies on the floor in hiccups. <laughs> yeah. No, and she's kind of gothy looking. Has has a nice dress. I think she is. Great makeup, great hair, like, just very stylish. Like, kind of unaffectedly so, without trying too hard. Just, like, cool look. John Doe looks a lot like... I feel weird making this comparison, because people would have to look up this dude for the pair, but he looks a lot like Mr. Quintron. I have that poster right behind me, actually. I can see. I mean, I don't I don't know Quintron except for this poster, but he's wearing sunglasses in it, but I see what you mean. Yeah. And I like the apartment where the tattooing is happening. Yeah, this just I like the the decorations. I will say um Billy Zoom, oh my god, looks so much like this old this old client I used to have. <laughs> to the point where I was like, is it at all feasible that this could be the same person? And then I was like, no, I don't think so because then he would be a lot older, but it was just like what? Billy Zoom is my favorite. I love Billy Zoom. He's cool. He, he just sits there. Wiggling his ears. Yeah, yeah he, he has complete ear wiggling control. He can do one, he can do both. He he doesn't want a tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Penelope Spurs is like, why? He's like, I just don't. I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want to be too trendy. <laughs> That's cool. He, he's been playing guitar since he was six, as well as piano, violin, and accordion. And he has this stance when he's on stage that is just his legs spread wide as, as he plays like 
just pure Chuck Berry rock and roll guitar. I just love it. Yeah, and so Penelope asks, why do you do that? And then Xena is like, because he has sex appeal. Yeah, so it's like, I love I love Billy Zoom because Billy Zoom is awesome. And he is not trying to be anything for anyone except awesome and loving music. I liked his cool silver sparkle guitar. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> so I have some questions for you. Okay, about the composition of the band X. Yeah. So Xine and John Doe got married in 1980, and they were married for five years. I feel like that's something that doesn't happen a lot. Do you feel like relationships in bands can happen and the band can survive? I mean, again, Sonic Youth, Kim and Thurston were married for like 30 years, but then they split up and then like the band ended after that but that was like after 30 years dude like normal people aren't married for that long okay so yeah so that you you can kind of at at some level consider that a success because at the very least that was that's quite a long relationship yeah would you like to guess who Exine's second husband was Yes, I know. It's oh, you a, know, you know. Okay, so. I can't, he's an actor. He's like, he was in, I know who it is, but I can't think of his name. I'll keep giving you hints until it comes to you, okay? Okay. All right. So, character actor. Right. Wasn't really all that famous until he was in Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. I know exactly who this is. I just can't think of his name. His first name? It is identical to a villain in Ghostbusters 2. Vito Morganson! It's Vigo! It's Vigo! <laughs> she was married to Vigo Mortensen before yeah. he was real, real famous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I knew that because I read like an interview or an article about her in Jane Magazine years back. No, okay, but the next thing I, I wanted to ask you is like, can a band have... Two lead singers like this, because sometimes Xene is singing, sometimes John Doe is singing. It feels like it feels like there's always going to be a competition. Yes, Ben. Once again, how many times do I have to say Sonic Youth to you? <laughs> or, you know, the Beatles? I will say, I heard there were, um, when I used to listen to the college radio station, Union College, WRUC Schenectady, when I was a young teen, they would play X sometimes. And at the time, I wasn't into them because I found their harmonies didn't please me. I found them like dissonant and they made me feel kind of queasy or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. I wasn't, but now I think they sound great. So maybe I just grew into it. I don't know. And, and that's there. I, I tend to like X best when they are playing a pure rock and roll song beyond and back that they do in this film is truly a great song. Yeah. And, and I think, I think the most prototypical X song of all time is Johnny hit and run Pauline. Yeah. It's one of the most subversive songs ever, ever made hearing John Doe talk about it. Wasn't too, too great. I didn't like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I yeah, didn't yeah. like his thoughts about that because it's basically a song with the plot of the Nirvana song Polly, mm-hmm. except except faster and much more explicit. But it's really catchy at the same time. It's so bouncy and fun. But I guess it is kind of like the song Polly, which sounds like happy-ish. Uh-huh. Yeah. Polly is, is like almost a little more 
acceptable because at the very least it's slow right. and it's sad. And it's like, but no, they're, they're talking about horrible, horrible things happening to, to a woman in, in, in a rock and roll. No, 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 They are making that the music fun while they say horrible things. And that's, yeah. that's strange. Yeah. And it's unnerving. And, and it embodies all the things that I really like about them as a band. Mm-hmm. But also, I guess maybe it's slightly influenced by the fact that I love this since I was a kid. There's a series of books by Francesca Lea Block. Um, it's like the Weetsy Bat series. And it's like L.A. punk referencing very heavily. And they it's very tied up in mentioning X a fair amount. So like think of them as like the emblematic L.A. 80s punk band, like the band. I, I feel like this movie is suggesting that they are the best of what L.A. has to offer. And that they are slowly kind of being replaced by a more hardcore punk element. Destructive. Do you remember John Doe's story about Darby Crash? No. <laughs> One day he came to their apartment, got wasted. Oh, put all the little toy cars in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is just what that guy does when he comes to party with X. Sure. I mean, that was not surprising. I actually thought they were going to say put them in his butt. <laughs> They're pretty big. They're like Barbie-sized cars. Sort of. <laughs> All right. Let's keep moving forward. Next, the Circle Jerks. Uh, I don't have a ton to say about them. We don't get inter- interviews. I, that was my least interesting part. That Yeah. I will say, I think of the punk music that survives, right, that moves on for the next few years, it's the Circle Jerks sound that is most most prominent after this just plain plain speed right controlled chaos uh, a rough a rough looking dangerous pit rough puff no i'm talking about baking the rough puff pit <laughs> those are those are the fun pits if i'm going to be honest there's there's like there's the fun pit and then and there's the ball pit and and i guess i i know this one wasn't the most interesting for you but like all those things, um, like he he does he has a moment where he runs off st- he's off stage and then he like runs forward at the mic and delivers the final line of the song. He lets the mm-hmm. fan take over the vocals. Yeah, uh, good performance. Good performance. I wonder why they didn't get interviewed. I don't know. She saves the the band interviews for the beginning and just doesn't do that for the final couple, mm-hmm. which is strange. I, I, I don't know why Penelope Spheres made that choice. Maybe they just, they weren't interested. Maybe they were all unconscious. You don't know. But the point I just want to make is that all of the stuff that the Circle Jerks were doing was very on purpose and and at least semi-controlled. This As opposed to, mm-hmm. to, to the germs where there was just no control, where Darby is just unleashed. So now let's do some candid interviews with some punk rockers. You've never said a less punk sentence in your life. <laughs> now let's do some candid interviews with some punk rockers. Yeah. Hey, some candid interviews with some punk rockers. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, what do you what do you think about that hip new sound? I like to do the pogo dance. Oh, you like to do the pogo dance? I can do the pogo dance. I'm a bit of a dancer myself, and I have been. <laughs> <laughs> Eugene comes back. So Eugene is one messed up, rage-filled little dude. Yeah. Uh, looking like a tiny Travis Bickle. Oh, totally. 
And when he drops his casual N-word, it is simultaneously kind of surprising because he's so small and the most expected thing that I could have... Mm. Yeah. Mm. Would you like to guess what Eugene does now? Storms the Capitol. <laughs> Possibly. He is a folk country surf 60s psychedelia musician now. Oh, I guess somebody's calmed down a bit. <laughs> You can find a lot of the people, not all, I, I tried, but you can find a lot of the people um, that were interviewed in these segments on Facebook, just on Facebook, just sitting there. Then there was Jennifer. She was the one with blue hair. And she had the very heavy eye makeup. She was cool. I liked her makeup. Yeah, I bet she liked, she would go on to enjoy Susie and the Banshees, probably. There was John with kind of the short, spiky, I would assume red hair. I can't find much on him. I don't remember him. The only thing I could find is that he was friends with Michael the X-Head. Oh, he and was he was something. Apparently, he was just genuinely nuts. Aww. Michael is kind of a large guy, leather pants, and an X shaved in his head. Yeah, it just looked like a weird haircut, and then he put his head down and you could see it. From the above view, you can see the X is apparently he was formerly in the military. Um, and that, yeah, was just genuinely like to go to punk shows and harm people. That was his thing. I thought that part was sad though when he said like what he saw his dad at the movie theater, but he, like his dad wouldn't acknowledge him. That's sad. Right. And you get, you get a lot of the feelings here of like Eugene as well. Like uh, these as abandoned children as, as children who don't have anyone take care of them. Yeah. Yeah. Bad families. Ha have you ever heard... Of Penelope Spheris' follow-up to this movie called Suburbia? I have it in my Criterion queue, but I haven't watched it yet. It is basically her saying, hey, I met a bunch of interesting characters while filming Decline. Let's make a narrative movie about a bunch of punks who live together. So they're based on them? I'm a, I'll watch it. It's in, But see, I only watch my Criterion app at like bedtime, and it just seems a little intense for bedtime movies. Yeah. I like to stick to like 70s European magical realism. <laughs> the guy Pat, that is that is Pat Smear. Yeah, he looked cool, but he was not into being interviewed. He was not interested. <laughs> What's he doing now? He was in the Foo Fighters for a while, but not anymore, right? No, he worked he worked with Nirvana, then after that he was with the Foo Fighters, but that was that was only for a little while. I I think he is just one of those journeyman musicians who he, he's got his punk bona fides. He got his grunge bona fides as well. I think it's interesting to think because, I mean, objectively, I'd say that Nirvana Unplugged was one of the like most significant musical performances of my lifetime. Just the, the song of, of my generation, <laughs> whether I choose it to be or not, but just for everyone in it. I mean, it's going to be Smells Like Teen Spirit. Like that's going to be the song mm -hmm. that my like lifetime is going to be, you know, so I just think it's interesting that we see this bratty guy that would go on to perform in in what what's going to be remembered as a very significant musical performance on television in like <laughs> yeah. 15 years. And then there's Kenny, the Asian guy in the swastika shirt with crutches. Mm -hmm. uh, trying too hard, Kenny. <laughs> yeah, pick one accessory, Kenny. <laughs> so you'd be fine with swastika shirt or crutches <laughs> no take that off yeah no and and you can tell like you don't hear 
Penelope Spheris' question, but you could tell that it's kind of like, so why are you wearing the swastika shirt? Do you want to kill a Jew? It's like, no, I don't want to kill a Jew, maybe a hippie. It's just so terrible. Yeah. It's some horrible edgelord bullshit that punk attracts. I'll say at this part, I had I muted the sound for the interviews and just looked at the text on the screen because I was like, and I don't know where this these interviews are going to go. I'm like, I don't want mm-hmm. my roommate to overhear any of this just in case. So I'm going to like mute it. <laughs> yeah. No, it, and that's, I remember one of the things that when I was very first wondering whether I should get into punk music. Is that a, like a decision you had to make? Like, this is the way that Ben overthinks things. Ben, to self, should I get into punk music? Let me go over the pros and cons. It's a bigger thing than you might think. Not even punk music, but just to decide that you want to invest the time to understand a subculture and to understand a musical movement. I know. When I choose a thing to get into, I just do it. I don't go, let me step back and and look at all of the details first. Okay. Now, normally you're correct, but then I'm a kid with nascent internet, right? Like the internet was just being born and I Google, I Google punk. And the first thing I see is Sid Vicious in in his swastika shirt as well. And I'm thinking, there you go. I don't think I want to do this. Well, yeah, I have to ask my question. Like, is this for Nazis? I see. I see. I see. And what I learned is that punk is one of those movements where you do have to think about it for a little bit. Like, sure, sure. Uh, when I and what I came to to understand is ninety eight percent not Nazis, maybe seventy percent kind of assholes who would put on a, a a hateful shirt and say it's funny, and not even like think about what's behind it and be like, what it's cool or it's funny. Well, people getting angry. Look at how angry people are at me now. Feels feels like feels modern, unfortunately. And you're. In this interview, you can hear it almost in my voice, I bet. We're getting to the point where I am very frustrated with the people involved, <laughs> you know? Yeah. After the X section, it's like, okay, I'm checking uh-huh. out. <laughs> X is the peak, and now we're coming down. Next is the Alice Bag Band. They're they're okay. I thought Alice Bag was cool. I liked her look. I liked that she was wearing pink and kind of mm-hmm. like new wavy makeup, and I looked her up. And um, she still is making music. Mm-hmm. What what I thought was really interesting, and I wish there'd been some kind of interviews, I I want to know what it's like for her to be a woman on stage. I mean, I don't like the whole, like, women in rock, but it's like it would have been cool to find out what her experience is like in this culture without a lot of women and with so much violence. And also, she's a woman of color, so, like, tell me what's up. I would I would have been really interested to know her opinion. And I liked her performance. I thought it was good. Yeah, I, the, the first song was... Yeah, but it wasn't her fault. She's got very solid energy, and I and I like the way she just functions as a lead singer. You are focused on her, and that the second song starts off very slow, but really, really kind of woke up halfway through. And I kind of wished that it was sounded like that the whole time. Let's close it with fear. Oh boy, I. I hate fear so much. I wish that it hadn't ended with fear. Hey, the, I hate how the guy was like scatting, like, Scoo-ba-doo-doo, Scoo-ba-doo. <laughs> I'm singing jazzily for you. It's like when I read Slash's memoir and he keeps mm-hmm. describing Guns N' Roses as being a blues band. Like, you'll never listen to them the same way I again. 100% feel exactly that. Beef Baloney, though. 
It's just, just embarrassing. It made me feel embarrassed. Yeah, they are a, a crappy blues band. Played fast with incredibly irritating lyrics. It reminds me of, you know, like in the 90s when metal bands or more hard rock bands would be like, uh-oh, we all need to cut our hair and like, we need to wear some flannel. <laughs> we got to get with the time so we can still sell records. Okay, guys? It's weird because I don't listen to a lot of metal, but I see that transition with a lot of punk bands turning into metal. is like, turn of the 80s and, and then like, no, 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 now, now we're metal. And maybe there's like a new wave interstitial. No, but leaving... The, the lead singer of, of Fear is just an annoying meathead. And so is everybody else. Yeah, meathead. I wouldn't be surprised if his, if his name was Meathead. John Belushi apparently loved them. Is that how they got to be on Saturday Night Live? Right. And he engineered them playing on Saturday Night Live. Now, I had you watch the video. Of, Which is sort of neat. Yeah, hey, hey, it's a fascinating thing to have happened. Well, I didn't know if it was going to be like tragic or cool, but there is a mosh pit, a controlled mosh pit. And it seemed like they were like all authentically having a good time. So that was cool. It, it felt pretty punk. Rock. Yeah, no, and and I remember you saying, like, wait, is something horrible going to happen? And no, something horrible isn't going to happen, but they definitely just cut it off in the middle, like, as the third song is starting. Yeah. They're just like, no, none of yeah. this. <laughs> this is enough. This is enough. They, yeah. they, they, there's the, the cool. opening opening horrible beats to the song Let's Start a War, which I just despise, and 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 then they just cut it. So here's the question I have for you. Yes. Why do you think Penelope Spheris ends the, the film on fear? Do you think she's trying to show how the scene changed over a year? Like where it started and where it was headed? There, there's a reading where she is pointing out the negativity of all this. There is also a reading where she looks at this and thinks, oh, look at how they are riling up the audience on purpose. Or there's the third one, which I always mention, which is that Ben is overthinking it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe she just thought it was a cool band. Yeah, maybe it's just like the, she just was like, okay, this is just the order we're going to have based on the footage we have or based on chronologically or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. It just, the stuff that happens in this performance, I want people to talk about it. Even if she as the as the director doesn't talk about it, I want to hear I want to hear Leaving try to justify what he's doing. His name is Leaving. I didn't even catch that. Oh god. What's he doing now? You know, he's just a singer and actor. Uh, you might know him as having appeared in the movie Clue. He was Mr. Body. <gasps> oh my god. I just watched that's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. I just watched that movie a few weeks ago, and mm -hmm. I was like, what's up with that name? Thank you. Yeah, that's right. I didn't like that movie. I'd never seen it before. I didn't. It was it was weird and sexist, and I didn't enjoy it. I like Clue a lot. I don't know. I did not grow up with it, so that's why. Mm -hmm. No, I, I feel like it's something that kind of gets incepted into you. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I, I do like that they murder leaving. <laughs> yeah, I guess you'd like that, yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's then, let's just talk about it. I almost, almost respect the band's Kaufman-esque commitment to making the audience hate them. I almost do. Was that the part with, uh, what does eat my fuck mean? <laughs> yes, I believe that is what is, is shouted. 
It reminded me of in Donnie Darko. Suck a fuck. <laughs> and the audience genuinely hates them, and all of this is being done on purpose, but the tool that they use to get the audience to hate them is just rampant, ugly, disgusting homophobia. And it's... Yeah. It's just horrific. And then, at one point, uh, a girl who's been kind of riled up by this jumps on stage, and leaving just starts hitting her and shoving her and kicking her off. They're just so repellent to me, both musically and as people. And then we see a swastika drawn on a cast out in the in the audience somewhere. Yeah. They go through their songs and they end on the song, Let's Start a War, which is maybe the ugliest song in all existence. Um, I've gotta I gotta be honest and tell you that. Part of their section, I just straight up fast forwarded. So I actually didn't see the part where he pushed a woman because I was like, I don't like them. I'm just going to, they're just performing. I'll just fast forward it. So that's yeah. my, that's the truth. That's, that's how much I didn't like that part. And I watch it because it is important part of the experience for me. Sure. Right. There's parts of watching this movie that make me feel so good and watching these musicians channel the energy of their crowds even when i first encountered punk was always amazing to me it, when, when you are standing in front of a band that is doing that well it, they feel like magicians they feel like they are controlling the energy that is in front of them and it's so intoxicating and i feel that in the beginning of the movie but it's important to me to remind myself of all the things about the culture and the subculture that I dislike and despise and that I just wish weren't part of it. And the racism, the homophobia, the casual misogyny, it's just all there and it's all in this movie. And the formal misogyny too. <laughs> I mean, I kind of knew what that there would be unpleasantness in it. Like I knew that it would be only be as fun as self-destruction can be, you know? Mm. Like I... I knew I wasn't going to have, like, a, a fully heartwarming time. I knew that some fucked up shit and some bad shit was going to be involved. Right. So I wasn't, like, surprised. I think that's an incredibly interesting way to put it. But, you know, like, self-destruction can be really fun. Oh, yeah. But it also can be terrible. <laughs> you kind of want to see what Darby Crash would do on any given day, right? Like, you kind of you kind of want to witness it. That's just why it's always been so complicated for me to say i'm a punk i like punk i want to be part of it because there's so much i i don't want to be a part of well i mean there's certainly like subcultures within the subculture like of course but i guess like there wouldn't be room you know like there's like queer punk this is true and and i i would say punk is is one of those subcultures that is really good at breaking off into little pieces if and you can find the piece for you if you want to look for it. Well, also there's important parts of like there's Riot Girl and that's punk that's all about dismantling the patriarchy and intersectionality and being anti-racist and all that stuff, so there's that too. That can be very punk. No, it's an incredibly malleable medium. Hey Ben, do you know what do you know what else is a very malleable medium? What's that? Plato. <laughs> this is the Plato of music. I think we can say that. <laughs> so, Kylie, have any plugs? Um, you do yours first. I have to think. Okay. So, Borsier 
has been teaching me how to make a brisket. Uh, Using his old-fashioned recipe that was taught to him by his family and passed down through the generations. And one of the ingredients is very important. It's Coca-Cola, but it can't be regular Coca-Cola. It must be kosher Coca-Cola, kosher for Passover. And you can tell... Is that the kind in a glass bottle? No, no, okay. All right, so let's... There's regular Coca-Cola with corn syrup. There's Mexican Coke, which is pure is cane sugar. Cane sugar. But then there is kosher for Passover Coca-Cola, which is also sugar, but it tastes different than either of the other two. And that's what I would like to plug. I would like to plug kosher for Passover Coca-Cola because it has this interesting molasses taste that neither Ooh. that no other Coca-Cola product has. And I think it's it it was it was an experience that I think everyone should try at least once. I my plug is also something that's kosher for Passover. Please. And it's um I was at the grocery store and I saw they're displaying um, Straits dark chocolate covered matzos, mm. and they're. I thought it would be delicious because I like both of those things, and they're really good. Great snack. <laughs> so thank you again for stopping by, experiencing something that was moderately unpleasant. I appreciate you putting up with it. Well, let's never forget. I made you watch dog poop eating. You really did. And chicken fucking. Yeah. Well, not. You know what I mean. Eh, no, no. Chicken three-way. Chicken three-way. <laughs> Induced a chicken three-way. So, from two of the bungled to all our botched friends out there, we love you. And, um, sorry, I gotta spit out my candy. I'm being rude, and I'm, I'm eating gummy cherries while I'm supposed to be recording yeah. a podcast. <laughs> I'm being punk rock, Ben! <laughs> You're a rebel. Don't tell me what to do, man. Rebellion is too much for me.